Let's go before the Lord and we'll pick it up there in verse 1 of chapter 20. Father, now as we come before you, Lord, we ask that you would just again minister to our hearts, move through our midst by your Spirit in this place this morning, Father. May we just see Jesus more and draw closer to him. And Father, may we just see your plan and, and all that you want to show us this morning, Father. For it's in his name we ask these things, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, again, Jesus, as we left off last time, who was a wanted man, we'd say, the, the Pharisees definitely put out, and the religious leaders put out, uh, we would say, a warrant for his arrest. If you've seen him, come let us know, because we want to arrest him. Now, yep, again, remember, in our day and age, uh, things have changed, well, particularly in our country, I should say. Um, you know, the, the religious leaders and our civil leaders um, are different. Um, but in the day of the Old Testament and in many places all the way today and even up till a few hundred years ago, really with our founding of our country, for the most part, you know, the religious leaders and the civil leaders were the same. So the people that you saw at church, you know, also enforced, you know, uh, the laws, the criminal laws, or at least had a hand in it, or at least were, you know, associated with it in some way. And so religious and and, um, you know, civil or people that, you know, government leaders maybe, you know, were, were usually one and the same for so long. And certainly in this day and in, in uh, Jesus' day, that was true. So when you say the religious leaders, you're really saying those guys are the ones that are in control of the police force. And if they had an army, they'd be in charge of the army. They're in charge of you know, not only religious duties, but like if you stole something or committed murder or did something wrong, then they would also be part of the judge uh, judgment of that. They would make a decision if you're guilty or not. So remember, these guys had a lot of power. And, uh, and so, you know, but yet Jesus, even though they wanted to arrest him and they were jealous of and envious, and we know all that, that Jesus made that, you know, what we refer to today as a triumphal entry and the coming down uh, off the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem. We spent a lot of time talking about that last time. Of course, the Pharisees didn't like it. They were trying to shut it down. Hey, 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 you know, don't say this, don't do this. No way, um, you know, th this should go on. This is right. They didn't, of course, agree with anything having to do with who Jesus was. And um, we talked about that. And then we left off with him. Uh, the next day, according to the Gospels of Mark and, and Matthew, you know, Jesus goes into the temple and drives out all the crooks, the money changers, and those that were extorting money from the people. And um, again, Jesus isn't having a problem being in public with everybody. He's there in the temple. It's Monday. Again, this is the last final days of him uh, before his crucifixion. He's there. He's you know, uh, cleaning out the courts, getting rid of all the things that shouldn't be there. And the religious, you know, authorities um, are now going to challenge Jesus publicly. Uh, at first, they're going to come straight at him. And that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. They're really going to come straight at him in front of everybody. And then, you know, when that's not successful, as we'll see the rest of the chapter and a little later on, they're going to try to trap him in his words. I don't know about you, but it kind of strikes me as funny, right? Trying to trap Jesus. Like you can really trap Jesus with your, with your words, right? Can you imagine trying to trap the author of everything uh, in some way? 
But um, that's what they're going to do. So this first part of Luke chapter 20, they're just going to really challenge Jesus' authority straight on in front of everybody, in front of the crowds and what's going on, and they're going to be doing that. So ver- verse 1 tells us this. Now it happened in, one of those, in those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes, together with the elders, confronted him and spoke to him saying, well, tell us. By what authority are you, doing, are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? So again, I have some pictures through this, and they're not that big of a deal. Maybe it gives you, helps you to picture it a little bit more and that. Some of them are you know, better than others. But you know, imagine him standing there in the temple courts. There's, there's really thousands and thousands of people standing around here. And again, Jesus is teaching, and we know the religious leaders are jealous of him, and they hate him, and, uh, but the people are there loving to hear him. The, the, the people are there to hear Jesus. When Jesus speaks, they want to be there and listen. They want to be there. And of course, they can't stand that. They're completely jealous of this. Um, again, but they're hearing all this, they're seeing all this, and the people are enjoying it. And, you know, then they just come at him straight up and they're challenging Jesus, by what authority would you do this? Because it's challenging their system, right? They have a system. You know, here's a question, by what authority are you doing this? You know, we have a system where you come through that system and then you have the authority to teach the Bible. We would say today, what gives you the authority to be able to teach the Bible, you know? Who do you think you are? You really don't fit our mold. You know, we have schools, we have methods, we have a system whereby you can come up and if you want to be a, a rabbi um, in, that, in that system, you know, you have to do this and you go through this and you learn here and you do this and you do all that kind of stuff. And, and then, you know, uh, you get your diploma or seal of approval or whatever it might be in that day, and then you, you could do this. Of course, Jesus didn't fit that mold at all. Didn't go through any of their systems, had nothing to do with any of their schools or their things of learning or the way they were doing things. And obviously, that was one of the things that really got them off balance. And can I tell you, it, it really happens today, too. I mean, it's still... Uh, happens today, you know, people will say, and what gives you the right? Who do you think you are? Who made you an expert, right? I mean, they'll do that in, in some areas, even in some churches. I mean, I, I don't have, I didn't go to a seminary and didn't get, you know, any kind of a seminary. Um, not that I'm not educated, but I didn't go through any seminary to get, you know, ordained through a a system, a, a college system, you know, there are seminaries you go to, and if you apply to them, you go to them, uh, you go through their program, whatever it is, and then at the end, you know, you become ordained and you're a pastor and you get this sheepskin and here you go, go start your church or do this, or you can be involved in this or something like that. I mean, there's still kind of systems like that going today. One of the reasons I've always liked Calvary Chapel is because, you know, it's um, not that... It's, it's not all about the system. It's really not all about that. Um, you know, it's a, authority comes from, and this is throughout Scripture, and, and throughout really church history, up until church became more formalized, and then it kind of really in, 
when it started really going downhill, was one of the one of the issues with that. Not that formalized church is all wrong and completely bad. Don't misunderstand me. But authority to do what God's called you to do comes from God, not man, right? And all man can do is give his seal of approval on the calling or the gifting of God. And that's that is as scriptural and as basic as it gets. But back in Jesus' day, and again, it happens in, in our day today, uh, again, nothing new under the sun. It's like, well, who gives you the authority? Who gives you the right to do that? Now, certainly they'll do that to somebody you know, leading a church, and there should be good questions. And, you know, are they called? Uh, you know, uh, is, is that a calling from God? Is it not something they just want to do? I mean, those are all good questions to ask. But the bottom line is that people will still do that today, even um, outside of somebody that's in charge of a ministry, just somebody going to church. So who gives you the right to say this? Who gives you the authority to say this is right, this is wrong? You know, um, uh, again, uh, you know, don't be surprised when they do the same thing to you. Well, who, who gets you to say that this is right and this is wrong and this is good and this is what should happen? And, you know, who are you to tell people about Jesus and this is what God thinks and, and, and all this? Listen, you know, you just, you don't, uh, you, you'll face the same sort of criticism and you can say, you're right, I'm, I'm nobody. I mean, I am nothing, I am nobody, but all I'm saying and all I try to say and stick to is what, what God has told us. So if there's a problem with it, it's not, you don't really have the problem with me, you have the problem with him because this is what his word says. And this is why we spend so much time going through the Bible because it's not about what I think or my opinions, because who cares about what I think or my opinions? Really, mine are any better or different or, or any a better influence or anything else than anybody else's. And so uh, I, I try not to express my opinions, uh, but what the Bible teaches. And that's why we go through it, because, you know, I could ride a few hobby horses and, and express how I feel, and sometimes I do that, but I try to make it pretty clear this is how I feel, right? But... When people challenge who are you and what's going on, you know, again, authority doesn't come uh, from, from, from man, it comes from God. And when we, we are teaching and when we're speaking and when we're sharing the word of God to somebody, our authority is in him and in his word. And so, you know, don't get discouraged and yeah, you're right, well, I'm nobody. And, and of course, you know, my whole life is like a sieve, it's full of holes, you know, and if somebody pours some water in there, there's going to be a lot of leaks, right? <laughs> because of, you know, my life and things that I've messed up there, here and there. And you can't really think in that way because God's forgiven us and our heart is to live for Him. And yes, we don't, uh, you know, uh, willfully chase after those things anymore. And, and yeah, people like to pour water through that to see what leaks out. And you just have to stand back and say, listen, it's not about me. Your argument's not with my life and who I am necessarily. And yes, I have failed, but I can tell you the one that hasn't failed, the one that knows it all, the one that loves you. And again, um, I'm just speaking what he has said. I am speaking his words. I'm just the messenger. I'm not the author. I, I you know, and you could say I'm not even the, the expert, if you would, but, but he is, and I know what he says, and here it is, and let me tell you about it. Let me show it to you. And so, again, don't be surprised when those things pop up and happen. You know, those same kind of traps and questions are still coming this way. And, and all there you are is a, a system to feel, make a person feel better to discredit you in some way so that they can push you down so they can feel better about their 
lack of relationship, if you would, with the Lord or knowing anything about Him. And so don't get discouraged by that because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And, and I can't help but to think that there is a number in this crowd in that day listening that, you know, will eventually give their lives to Jesus as the church grows in a, in a, in a great way um, out from Jerusalem and then moving out from, from there. And, you know, when there's thousands and thousands coming to the Lord, you know, I think people eventually will see all that. They do see that. And just as they will in our lives as well, as we continue to share and be faithful. And at the end of the day, you know what you can always stand on is that, you know, this is who I once was is not what I am now. And that's important. I, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I, you know, my life and my ideas, my thinking, my way of doing everything is completely changed from before I knew the Lord. And, and that's just such the key, isn't it? I mean, that's just really the key of, of life for everybody. So I got a blinking red light. Is that good or bad? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> okay. So then verse 3 says, But he answered and said to them, I will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from me? So they asked Jesus, you know, what authority do you have to do all this? You know, who gives you the authority to, to teach and do all this and clear the temple area and, and say we shouldn't be doing this here and all those things that he's saying and doing. And then Jesus uh, answers them a, their question with a question. Now, what he's really trying to do here is to, you know, as a test, and of course he already knows this, but it's a test to see, if, do you really want to hear and do you really want to know the truth? I mean, is that an honest question? Do you really want to ask that who I'm from and what authority I have? Or are you just doing this again to justify yourself and your position? So let's see, if you're truthful about this, I'll ask you a question. You know about John the Baptist. I mean, you saw his work. You knew what he did. Is he from God or not? Or was it just something he decided to do and got together and did it all on his own? I mean, was he from God or, or not? not? Very straightforward question, right? Doesn't seem like it. Is what he did from God or was it not from God? Now, we know the people flocked to John, right? John the Baptist, they went out there. He baptized people by... By the thousands upon thousands, they confessed their sin and repentance, and they would be baptized. And, of course, so many people went out there, and so many people were involved in all this, that eventually the nation's religious leaders go out there. And, of course, we know that earlier on from the Gospels and the political leaders. They see what John is doing, and they reject John's baptism and John's teaching um, because, you know, he basically said to them, hey, uh, basically told them, you need to repent and turn to the Lord just as this tax collector or this prostitute or this farmer or this guy that owns uh, this or, you know, the guy that works in the field picking the uh, strawberries or whatever. You know, you need to turn and repent, confess your sins and, and turn to God and be baptized too. Don't just think because you're a Jew or because you're a priest or a Levite that somehow you're exempt from this call and repentance of God. 
Just because you think you're some high and mighty religious leader or you were born, you know, into this religious system or, or because, you know, my parents were, were Christians or my grandparents or I have, you know, brothers and sisters who are. And so that, you know, I'm, I'm included in that whole lot because of that. No, everyone needs to come to him just like these people are. And he called them out and he said, there is no exception. And there is no exemption. Everybody needs to be there. And so he, he was pretty straightforward. And of course, they rejected that. So now they're kind of in a pickle, right? And we get a little peek behind the curtain of their thinking in verse 5. And so Jesus asked a question. Okay, was John the Baptist? Was it from heaven? Was it from man? And so they reasoned among themselves, verse 5 tells us, saying, if we say from heaven... Well, he will say, well, why, didn't you not, why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. <laughs> so here, you know, you can see the truth coming out. As we get this peek behind the curtain of their thinking, of their little huddle there, they're only interested in giving an answer that will fit their thinking so that they won't look bad in front of the people, in front of everybody that's there, and they won't look bad. So how can we answer him without looking bad? You notice they're not interested in the truth or knowing who Jesus really was or who the, what the plan of God was. They're not interested at all. Um, and that's why uh, Jesus answers, answers a question with a question. You know, Do you really want to know the truth? And of course, the answer is no. They really didn't want to know the truth. And again, keep this in mind because we run into people like this. It's, it's kind of sad is that they, they're really not interested in the truth. They're, they're just more interested in feeling okay in their position. And so anything that they can do to fortify their position and their, maybe their hardness of their heart towards the Lord or and why they do what they do or think the way they think, you know, anything that will insulate them from, from the truth, you know, they're going to say whatever best fits that. It doesn't really matter what's right or what's true. That doesn't even come into play. It's but how best can I defend my way of thinking? And it's important that we, you know, speak the truth. I, I was reading that, you know, this the new thing that... Um, um, uh, they're trying to teach in school now. As, uh, the acronym is uh, Social Emotional Learning, S-E-L, they call it. And uh, I was reading about this, you know, besides the other new theories, that they're, the critical race theory and all this, the social uh, emotional learning. And, uh, you know, the whole idea is that you want to be open-minded. You want to be inclusive. And, you know, they're trying to teach what we might define as moral thinking without any morality. <laughs> I mean, how, how, how void is that, right? I mean, so what's the basis of what, is, what you should be open and what's not about truth, not about right or wrong. It's just that you're emotionally open to whatever anybody thinks or feels. And that's the direction, of course, that our society is heading as fast as it can get there, right? Truth, right, wrong, this is good, this is bad, is all going out the window. If you think in terms of right or wrong, good or bad, God, uh, Satan, uh, 
morally right Bible te- that you are going to be classified in, in horrible ways, which we already are, but even to a greater degree. But you need to be open to everything else. But of course, the people that are open to everything else are certainly closed mind to this, right? <laughs> anyway, I won't go there because I'm preaching to the choir on that. You guys know how it is. But, you know, some people just aren't interested in the truth and what's right. And um, again, that kind of reminds me of that story that um, I, I know I've shared this before, but there was a couple of rich brothers who just lived pretty wicked lives and, you know, used their wealth as a cover-up for a lot of their sins and the way they did things. And, you know, on the surface, they, they, they looked good. They'd never miss church. They would, you know, go to church every Sunday. And, you know, if the church needed something, they would write a check for it and, and uh, then, you know, a new pastor came along to the church and he was a, a, a young man who just spoke the truth and loved the people and, you know, took real courage to, um, you know, just to be honest with people and telling them God's word. And, and the church grew and grew and pretty soon, you know, they, they needed a new building. And then uh, one of the brothers died and, and um, he, he knew the pastor was going to give the memorial service and he calls a pastor aside, listen, my brother's, you know, um, funeral's tomorrow. I just, I just want you, you know, uh, to, to tell everybody he was a saint. And here's this envelope, and in it is a check enough to cover for the whole cost of the new building project that you want. And the, the young pastor took the ch- check and he agreed to say, that, that his brother was a saint. And during the, you guys might remember, you know, during the, the service, he starts talking. He says, uh, yeah, and this guy, you know, he was, he was not good. He would cheat in business and he was hot-tempered and he cheated on his wife and he was just a ruthless in business and he was a hypocrite in church. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was for you. <laughs> right? And uh, I, I always laugh at that story too. I, I like that one too. But right? And, and again, you know, people just aren't interested necessarily in the truth. They, they want to shade it and make it what it is. And it's the same way back then as it is today. You know, um, and you run into people who question your love for Jesus and your desire to walk you know, the Christian walk and going to church. And then they, you know, who do you think you are? You think you're better than me in some way. And so they try to challenge us and try to make us look bad. They want to think in their own mind that they're okay and they really don't need to come to Jesus. And it just becomes a justification game. And so just remember that. That's just some of the persecution that Jesus said we would endure. And it's just, we're just called to be faithful. And it'll always prove itself, you know, out to be true and right in the end because the Lord will make sure it'll do that way just like you know when you know people make accusations and say all sorts of things you know our defense is in the Lord and if we continue to be faithful we know the truth will come out at some point the Lord is going to make sure that that does so we're just called to be faithful um, Jesus doesn't get in any big argument with them. Oh, you bunch of li- rotten liars. You, you don't care about the truth. I mean, he could have just, you know, shot into them then, but he doesn't. He, he understands it's just, they're not interested in the truth, and it's just a justification um, game. And so he just says to them in verse 7, so uh, they answered, you know, we don't know where he's from. That was their 
thinking, you know, okay, we don't know. That was our justification answer. And Jesus said to them in verse 8, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So no honest answer from you. Well, I'm just going to give you a non-answer about me. Uh, But Jesus didn't stop there. After all, there is crowds and thousands of people who he was teaching to around there. Well, quite frankly, he wanted them to know what was going on. And he wanted to know wanted them to know the truth because even those these guys' positions were as such, there were so many more that were still listening that he wanted them to learn and understand through all of this. So just remember that. You know, getting a, a pushback response here, not interested in truth, but yet there's always somebody else, and we gotta continue to be faithful, and that's what we do here. And so Jesus now, it says in verse 9, that he began to tell the people a parable. So, okay, they gave, oh, we don't know who John's from. Well, okay, then I'm not going to go into who, you know, the reason I have this authority. But let me tell you a story. He said, a certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. So, you know, um, Here's a, a vineyard, and um, you know Jesus is going to use this illustration as a vineyard. And this is just one kind of in Monterey County down there. You give you some idea. Maybe that helps you think about it. Um, and, and this is something that they would understand. You know, uh, there's a, a, a vine dresser, the one that you know, uh, or one that owns a vineyard, and there's ones that lease the land, if you would, um, because the Old Testament talked about the nation of Israel being the vineyard and God being over the vineyard. In fact, Isaiah uh, 5, I'll just put that for so we have a, a good reference to that. Um, talking about Israel, he says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My, love, my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of its stones and planted it with the choicest vines. And then Isaiah goes on in Isaiah chapter 5, you know, how, what God did, and he, brought, he planted the nation, he pa- planted the, you know, the Jewish people into the land, he did this, he did all this, and then it goes on to say how, you know, they, how they rejected him. And so the people would understand very clearly from the, you know, from, uh, the Old Testament that, you know, as a nation, that they were the vineyard, because that, that's what God uses. Um, today... You know, even in our area today, there's almost all the fields around here are leased fields. Um, anybody, any grandparent or great-grandparent with half a notion, <laughs> which most of them had half a, at least half a brain, put all the property in a trust so that grandkids or children or great-grandchildren wouldn't sell the land. They put it in a trust and they just leased it out and get these lease payments, right? So it, it actually happens around here today. So this guy basically prepares everything, right? He gets it all ready for these guys. Um, and, and basically, the, the job is you take care of it. You take care of it, and then you give me, you bear fruit in the season. You give me what to do for me. I'll let you live here and do this and do that. But, you know, there's, here's what you're going to do to be faithful to me. And then he goes on in verse 10. Now, uh, at vintage time, um, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. So time had come where these guys that were working the vineyard were to give 
the field owner what we was due. You know, they produced fruit. They had to produce fruit to him and, and give it to him. That was the whole call. And of course, you know, the, the, the picture I think is pretty easy to grasp here. God gave the nation and blessed them and gave them so much. But he said, you know, uh, in the old covenant, here's the law. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what you're supposed to keep. And if you want to stay here, it's conditional based on your obedience. Do you want to be, obey what I've called you to be as a people, as a nation? Okay, then you have to bear this fruit. You have to follow my law. And so how did the people running the vineyard respond? Well, it says, But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Verse 11, again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And verse 12 says, and again, they sent, uh, again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. So now, you know, he sends one, and they basically send him back em empty-handed. And they completely reject his calls to do what they were called and what they promised to do. So and at some point, they stopped just telling him, no, we're not going to do what you want us to do. Um, they started getting violent, and they violently rejected him at every turn and all those who had sent to him. They didn't want anything to do with him, his ways, his will, or his plan. We are going to live our way and do what we want. Now, if that doesn't sound familiar today, too, I don't know what does. You know, the Lord says, listen, this is my call. This is my plan of salvation. This is what I've done. I've sent Jesus, you know, in our day to, to pay for your sins, that you might bridge the gap between a, a holy God and a sinful man. And, and, and he bridges that, that we're able to come to now and be his children and be in right relationship with him and have this intimacy and this fellowship, become his children and all these kind of things. And it's like, ah, I don't want to do that. There's got to be more ways to God. Who says that just got to be the only way? And, you know, they're going on and on. I, well, I want to live the way I want to live. I want to feel like how I feel. And, you know, if I wake up, you know, this morning and I want to do this and I wake up tomorrow morning, I want to do that. And I think this and feel that. I want to do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, whenever I want to do it. And I don't care. And I don't want, you know, any kind of restriction or, or God or anything like that. And, you know, I, I, I want to live my own life. And as what's his name said, and do it my way. <laughs> right. That song. Um, thank you, Sinatra. And do it my way, right? Now, I don't know about you, but you know, if I was the Lord, I would have, I would have probably rained down fire and brimstone about that point. But that's not what the Lord does. He doesn't give up like me. This is what he does in verse thirteen. Then the owner of the vineyard said, "What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him." when they see him. And so you get this picture of a love for the Lord. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm reaching out to them. I'm trying to talk to them. And of course, we know, you know, what Jesus is referring to pretty clearly here. You know, he's sending prophet after prophet or, you know, even good kings and, and people to encourage his people in the nation to come back to him and to listen to him and, and to follow him. And he's sending others and some, you know, they just 
ignore. Others, they were getting worse and worse. They would put prophets to death and kings they didn't like, you know, to death and they didn't agree with and all that kind of stuff. And so he said, surely, I, you know what, I'm just going to send my son. Surely they'll respect him. Because really, he's me. It's like me going directly to them. So surely they would respond to him. Right? I mean, right? Jesus is there. Certainly they would respond to. It's like me showing up here. And all the response is what you probably know in verse 14. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. Let's get rid of him in every way possible, in every way we possibly can, even by killing the son. We will get what we want and do what we want and live how we want and we'll be free from his power and from his influence if we do this. Right? That, that's all we need to do. If we just, you know, break free of all this influence of the Father and, and all that He wants us to do, then everything will go right. I know. Let's meet in Scotland. <laughs> right? We'll have all the answers. That's what they're doing right this second, right? They're meeting there today. All we need to do in this world is be carbon neutral, right? And everything will be okay. I mean, isn't that the mantra today? That's all we knew. Uh, Lord, God... Oh, no, thank you. We have science behind us. We know what we need to do to make this world a perfect place, right? I'm telling you, put solar panels up on your roofs, uh, you know, drive an electric car. Um, uh, you know, that, that's the answer, right? We'll, we'll, we'll be carbon neutral and then, you know, everything will be great. We don't need God. We don't need the Bible, Jesus. We don't need any of this stuff. Check with the creator of how we should, you know, uh, deal with the creation, uh, no thanks. We got science. We got all that we need here. We got everything we need. We just need wind and solar and battery and, and, and finally the answers. And, you know, Eureka, let's just, man, we get wind power, we're good. We get rid of coal and the whole world's going to be great, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, isn't that what you hear all the time? It's going to be heaven on earth if we stop the earth from warming up a little bit. Yeah, right. Right? And it's just, it just goes from one silliness to another silliness to another silliness because it's all just a bunch of fluff and, for the most part, political posturing on people. Uh, somebody made this comment, I, and I, I said that I wouldn't drag down these things, but, you know, how, how that uh, almost everybody going to that conference is flying by the most polluting way possible, which is private jet or by another airplane, which puts out more carbon pollution than anything else. And they said there's supposed to be like 30,000 people over the three weeks or four weeks or however long the conference is supposed to last. And they said the majority of the supposed 30,000 people that show up, you know, our, our minister of pollution, John Kerry, flies on a private jet everywhere, which is like equal to six weeks of pollution by so many people. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? And it's the same old kind of thing, right? This is what we need to do. If we just do this, and I'm just using this as kind of fun, and I'm not against solar power, don't misunderstand me, but, you know, the whole thinking is, and the whole mantra is, if we just do this, then, you know, we'll get heaven on earth. And maybe you like me, you remember back when there was a hole in the ozone. If we just plug that hole in that ozone, man, we're gonna be okay. Everything will be go good, and then they move. Well, anyway, I, I said I wouldn't go down that road, and 
Of course, I won't talk about overpopulation or not having enough food when I was a kid. But the bottom line is, I, I'm making fun of those things in some way, and it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but the bottom line is that kind of thinking, and, and there's so many more lines of that kind of thinking and that just run contrary, that leave God completely out of the picture. His plan, His way, let's kill Him off any way we can in schools and in public life and in public discourse and, and, and all that kind of stuff, and let's just stick with the science and what we want to know and go down this road, and we'll cut Him off and everything will be okay. What do you think about that? Do you really think it's going to be okay for people who just kill everything of the Lord, that they're actually going to get some sort of nirvana, some sort of heaven on earth? Well, you're like me. You say, yeah, right. You're barking up the wrong tree, right? And that's exactly what's going on here. And so they cast out the, him out of the vineyard and killed him. Verse 15 tells us, Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Well, he will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Now, quite frankly, you know, Jesus tells us this parable and this story here, which is actually very prophetic, isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, because all of this will happen. All of this will come to pass. You see, the Father entrusted the Jews with His Word and to be fruitful with it. And they, He wanted that good news to go out throughout the whole world. He wanted all nations to be influenced under the Old Covenant. He used a nation, and of course, after the death of Jesus, He's using people uh, uh, you know, uh, of many nations now because, well, the Jews as a whole wouldn't listen and rejected. And he reminded them and encouraged them and corrected them and brought people and finally brought Jesus, but they wouldn't listen. And so, you know, he sent Jesus and the reaction was, if we kill him, we'll get everything for ourselves, right? As it says here, and Jesus, you know, basically answers their question of his authority here indirectly. So the crowds might know, and this is what he says, um, you know, uh, uh, I'm just going to give it to others. If you don't produce the fruit, you're going to be moved out and others are going to take that place. And again, the whole thinking is, and it's still the same today, right? And this is what the world does. If we can just get, a, get rid of God, then we aren't accountable to His Word or responsible to His Word. And the Lord says, no, you're going to be that. And He tells the Jews that. And, and of course... We know this to be true prophetic, prophetically, really, because the beginning of the church, right, after the resurrection of Jesus, yes, it was mostly, uh, mostly Jewish, but within, you know, 50 uh, years, maybe 75 years, certainly within 100 years, most of the church will be all non-Jewish people. And for the most part, the Jewish nation as a whole is, is sidelined until we know the Great Tribulation. So this is, in fact, really what did happen to the nation. He, he kicked them out of the vineyard, if you would, and gave it to others. He gave the responsibility now to us, to the church, to bear that fruit. And I think it's important that we understand that. Not that we're putting down the Jews. Is they just chose as a whole, not everybody, and there's certainly there are Jews that are, that are believers, but it's a small part. And you know, most of the Jews, quite frankly, are very secular, um, very secular, to say the least. 
and he, he, he entrusted it to those now who are, are non-Jewish, and we have the responsibility to bear fruit and do what he's called us to do, and eventually God will deal with the, the Jews again. We, we talk about that, and certainly Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 talk about that for sure, but they are sidelined for the most part until the Great Tribulation. Well, how do you think the religious leaders responded to this? <laughs> well, if you continue to read on in verse 16, and when they heard this, they said, certainly not. I can't try my picture here. Certainly not, right? And when he looked at them and said, then, uh, what then is this that is written, that the stone which the builders rejected has become, sorry, I wanted to put this picture up, the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls will be ground, will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. And so when they hear this, hey, you're going to be kicked out because you just aren't bearing the fruit that I've called you to do. And again, you know, they're like, no way, this can't happen. And these leaders knew exactly what Jesus was telling them, that this is what's going to happen. But you notice they don't choose to, to change, right? Verse 19 shows, you know, they, again, their solution to this is to confront him, to turn their back to bitterness and their own stubborn ways and try to get rid of Jesus. You know, let's get rid of the mouthpiece and then we don't have, and then we can still do things our own way. That's their solution. You know, there's no like, oh, no way, we're, we're, we have a possibility of, of not being used by the Lord in this way, uh-oh, we better just, we better, we better take this seriously, but that's not their heart. Their heart is, let's just get rid of the message. We'll kill the messenger, and then the message will go away. That's because they're stuck in their ways of thinking and how and what things should be done, and may we not be like that. I, I think we need to heed the warning too because sometimes we can get stubborn in our own ways, in our own ways of thinking, in our own ways of doing things, in our own ways, and we're not flexible to the Word of God or the move of the Holy Spirit. You know, heaven help us that we never say, well, that's the way we've always done it, or this is the way we should do it, or this is the way it's normally done, or this is the way, you know, and, and get stuck, and this is the way things have to be. Um, that's just a death sentence. It really is to any uh, church or group of people, you know, serving the Lord or in a personal life where, you know, this is it and I got it all figured out and it's a plan and it's a program and we stick to this and that's the way it is. And, and um, man, we always be flexible and open to the Word of God. Um, you know, Jesus tells them that their, that, that their rejection and rebellion is long foretold, right? Because... Um, He's the chief cornerstone. We don't use stones in our construction today so much for because, well, California earthquakes, right? <laughs> but think of it as a foundation. But this building, the foundation, somebody put a form to pour the foundation. And if the form that holds all the foundation isn't, because everything's built off that, if it's 
off this way, if it's not level, if it's not plumb, if it moves in or out, and you know, it's got different angles or something, then everything on top of it is gonna come off that foundation. Nothing's gonna be straight, everything's gonna be crooked, they may not have the support, support and the load that they needed. Everything is based on that, this building's foundation. And if anything comes along, it's, it's just, if it, that's not right, then everything else is gonna be messed up to some degree or another. And again, um, that's, that's the idea is that, you know, he is the one, if it's not, if a person's life or the nations as a whole isn't building their lives on the firm foundation of the word of God and what Jesus did, then everything else is going to be crooked and off in life and in everything else because it's not being built. Of course, Jesus told many parables about that, about the man who, who built his house on a, on a foundation of stone and one that was built on a foundation of, uh, of, of sand. And when the storms came, and they did come from both, for, for everybody, one was destroyed completely and the other withstood it because of what it was built off of and that foundation being Jesus. And so he's saying, listen, if you're not choosing to do that and you're building your life off your own ideas and your own thinking and your own way or your own emotions or whatever you feel at any particular moment or the way people or other people are thinking and you just fall along sheepishly that way, then, you know, everything built off that is eventually going to be a house of cards and it's going to come tumbling down. But he also says, and he says, and, 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 you know, the, that foundation was rejected by you guys, so it was foretold that that cornerstone or the foundation was going to be rejected. And then he says, whoever falls upon this stone will be broken. So if people would only come to him, he says, listen, uh, if you only come to me, um, then things will be the way it should be and allow me to be the foundation of your life. Now, this may not sound romantic to us, right? Come to him, and you fall on him, you'll be broken. <laughs> it's not some uh, warm romantic notion in a sense, but the, the, the plain truth of life is you come to Jesus, and you will be broken. You'll be broken of pride, uh, broken of self-sufficiency, broken of my plan and my way, and it'll be no longer that, but it'll be you, Lord. It'll be you, Lord. No, you, Lord. Lord. Lord, what's your will for this? Father, what's your desire in this, in this situation? How would you like me to go, proceed, speak, go, talk, not go, talk, do, not do, whatever it might be, give, not give, this, all this. Lord, it's all on you. And we are broken of self. And if a person chooses not to do that, then the stone falls on them and they become crushed by self quite frankly. You know, self will be crushing. It, the truth of Jesus doesn't change. And, and it's, it's there. And, and either one, you, you fall on him or you get crushed under the weight of your own self and your own self-centeredness and your own way and your own plan and your own self-sufficiency and your own pride and your own way of doing things. And, you know, God has no part of that. And and it'll be crushing. You'll be crushed by self. You'll be swallowed up by self. Self can do that. Just, just spend 15 minutes thinking about, you know, uh, 
your life sometime or 20 minutes, right? You start, what, what happens for most of us? I can't say everybody's like this, but right, man, you can get pretty down and pretty depressed thinking about, you know, the things you could have done, should have done, might have done, this and that. I mean, we start getting focused on self for any period of time and we get in the dungeon, right? We get, it's, we can get be brought down pretty low because basically, you know, it's, it's, self is just, you know, this never ending pit here. And Jesus said, man, it's just, it's, you're going to be crushed. It, it, it'll be crushed under the truth of who I am. Eventually, that will happen. And again, verse 20 says, I'm sorry, so they watched him and sent spies to pretend to be righteous, that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. So Jesus says, listen, you have a choice to choose to fall on me or be crushed under your own weight of self. But again, um, this has no effect on the leaders. You know, they want to kill him and have control. But they're fighting against God, and that's a battle that they'll always lose. So they're going to, instead of coming straight at him and trying to trap him, you know, uh, uh, to you know, come straight at him, now they're going to try to trap him. And we'll see that next time as we go into the next couple of instances where he runs in front of the the traps of the the priest they're going to try to now you know do it the sly way and come in the back door and see if they could trap jesus like they could ever trap jesus but again fighting against god a losing battle (laughs) at best well let's pray father we do thank you for this time lord and for this uh, uh, you know we get to spend looking in your word lord and hearing what you Uh, have to say to us, Lord. And we thank you that Jesus, though the leaders didn't want to hear any of this, that he spoke this parable that they might hear and they might understand and might know the truth. And they might know, um, really, he's quoting that, Lord, that, uh, that Psalm 118, that they were singing Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in your name. Uh, we talked about last time, well, that, that verse about the stone is also found in that same psalm. And you're You're just carrying that theme through everything, Lord, that we might learn, that we might hear, that we might know. And um, Lord, you you still want to reach the people and you still want to do that. And you give them warning here, certainly the the leadership, but also that the people might know around listening and hearing of your love for them. And you know what the weight of self does. And you know what happens when a person uh, pushes you away constantly and moves you away that they think everything will be better if they can just eliminate any influence of you, Father. But the reality of it is it's, it's, it's a weight that crushes people and uh, something they can't bear um, because uh, we in our natural selves that just, uh, <laughs> boy, uh, are, we can be quite the opposite of you, to say the least, Lord. So we thank you for uh, these words, Father. And though coming to you and being broken doesn't seem like this great, pie in the sky, but Lord, the reality of it actually is that we're free from all the bondage of self and sin and, and self-motivation and figuring things out and working things out and doing things our way, which most of us have spent far too long doing. Lord, we thank you that we can do things your way. Help us to be those people, Father. Help us to always respond and never push you away, Lord. And when people just reject us and the message that you have, that we give them, Lord, let us be continue to be faithful to continue to give it, Lord, and share it, and 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 not give up. 
For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.